I was powerful just to pray for our little guys, and it was just such a delight to be in Rome this week. Uh, does anyone want to learn a phrase in Italian? Yes. Okay, are you ready? All right, stiamo adando. A Roma Italia. E particolaro. E trastevere. Okay, that's, we're saying we are going to Rome, Italy, in particular... Trastevere, which is a little outside, a city outside of Rome. All right, you ready again? You're going to say it? Okay. Stiamo adando. A Roma Italia. You got to roll your R. A particolare. A trastevere. All right, there you go. Now you know Italian. Okay. All right, why don't you guys go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. And as I was studying on the airplane back to New York, uh, just on that nine-hour flight, just was studying uh, Mark chapter 11, didn't know really what I was getting myself into. And uh, I reviewed the passage. And again, I looked at this and just saw the Lord's hand and providence in this. It's very perfect timing as we announce uh, where we're going and how we're getting there and all the details. And so it uh, just couldn't be more perfect timing in studying this particular passage in Mark. All right, well, why don't you go ahead and turn there to chapter 11, verse 27. We're going to read just a short passage here. It says, They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who, have give, who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I, ask you, I will ask you one question and you will answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But, we shall, but shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now authority means there's two Greek words for this. And one is a power or an ability to do something. Or the other one is a right or a privilege. And so they're used interchangeably. And you got to look at the context at times to see that. But I just want to give you maybe just a a little bit of a review. Going back to chapter 11, you saw that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's ready to be killed. This is Holy Week. If you're familiar with that, it's Easter week. And he's going into the temple. And he came to destroy the temple or to cleanse the temple, to destroy the the, in the Gentile area, the court of the temple, because they were taking advantage of the people. And they were hurting people that needed to know the gospel or needed to know or worship God and needed to know the word of God. But they were being uh, a distraction from people hearing the truth. And that uh, angered Jesus. In fact, he was angry when he came in there and he turned over tables, and it's hard to actually put our minds around the fact that Jesus would do such a thing. But he was passionate about you knowing who God is in a distracted, free environment. 
clutter-free. But the religious people, they cluttered it. And so they made it near impossible for people that were in the nations to come and hear the word of God and to worship him freely and rightly. And a couple of things, uh, I have three final points towards the end that I want to share with you guys. But if you just are following along, uh, there's a, a pretty simple outline here. But number one is Jesus continued or continually affirmed his authority. He continually affirmed his authority throughout scripture. He did this. In Matthew 28, very familiar passage, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Another way he says it is in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been handed over to me by my father. John 3, 35 or 13, 3, the father loves the son, has given all things into his hand. Jesus has complete authority and he will continually affirm that throughout the scriptures. And now the Pharisees are asking this or the religious leaders are asking this. And they're saying, why do you, how, who has given you authority to go into the temple like that and do that? What, what makes a person do something like that? What right do you have to waltz into this religious building and do something like that and cause such a ruckus and such chaos? You don't really have a right to do that. And so they asked him, even though they had heard him over and over and over say, he is equal to the father and he has authority to do these things. Ephesians 1.22 says, he put all things in subjection under his feet and he is now the head over the church. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You think of every human being on the planet who's ever lived will bow to the feet of Jesus. That's incredible thought there. The most godless person who's ever lived. We don't know who that is. I mean, we can say a few names probably to each other based on history. But that person will bow their knee to Christ because he has all authority. That's an amazing thought. That's a comforting thought. Especially when you watch the news and see like evil is winning. But it will have its final day in judgment. And we see him over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, whether it's Paul or whether it's Jesus himself or the gospel writers showing us that Jesus has authority. Jesus taught authority in his earthly ministry. He demonstrated authority by, uh, by healing the sick and forgiving the sinner, Mark 2.10. And then in Mark 1.27, we read that months ago, authority over the powers of hell, casting out demons, there's nothing outside of his control. John 1.12, he gave the right to become children of God who believe in him. He gives you that right to become a child of God, once a child of darkness. It says in Ephesians 2, a child of the devil, basically. Child of darkness or of wrath. Destined to be judged into hell. But when you come to Christ, he gives you the right and says, you are now a son or a daughter. He has the authority to do that. No one else has authority to do that. Not your parents, not your teacher, not your pastor even. Christ has the ability, the power to transfer you from, from a destiny to hell to heaven. 
That's incredible. That is incredible power. No one on the planet has that. John 7, 37, he called people to drink from him and be saved. He has the power to call you, to win you, to soften your heart or to harden your heart. He has the power to do that. Matthew 11, if you remember that passage, he calls people in in, in verse 28 to 30, he calls people to take on his yoke, which is light. No one else has the power to lighten your burden. Most of the people in this world are gonna put more burden on you. Religion will put a heavy yoke on you. And the people got to see that. I've got to see that in Rome, the capital of the Catholic Church, watching people walk up the Scalia Santa on their knees, hoping to be saved because they believe those are the very steps that Jesus walked up in Jerusalem with Pilate. The hopelessness. But Jesus alone has the right to forgive you of your sins. It's not crawling upstairs on steps or giving money or believing that somehow that'll give you some sort of indulgences to get your family members out of purgatory. It's either heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. And Jesus has authority to save souls. John 10, 18, he has authority to lay down his life and to take it up. He has, he has the keys of life and death. Roman, uh, Revelation 1, 18, he holds the keys to life and death. And Jesus doesn't do this out of his own initiative. He's not just waltzing around on his own. No, he's connected to the Father. He's connected to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that is so important to realize that he never has to ask permission to save anybody. He never has to ask permission to cast out a demon. He never has to ask permission to heal the sick. Jesus never had to ask permission to do anything because he holds the keys to life and death. He has full authority over our lives, over this world, over every leader, every demon, and Satan himself. That should be incredibly comforting to you this morning. You need to hear that good news. That he has given, God has given him authority and Jesus has all authority. Now, what do we have here in verse 27? Simply, this follows the, 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 the moment of Jesus changing, uh, the, uh, driving out the money changers. He's, he's, he came into the temple and he caused an absolute ruckus. Everywhere he went, he was like a tornado. He just, I mean, he, it's, he just, everywhere he went, it, you, could, you could see the effects of it. And now towards the end of his life, there, it's gonna get more ugly as the religious leaders begin to question him. And they ask him this question, like what gives you the right to do this? To cause a scene? I don't think Jesus was trying to do that on purpose to cause some sort of scene just to, for the sake of it. He doesn't do that. He is purposeful in everything he says and everything he does. And it was actually out of love that he went to the temple to cleanse it because that was a place that people were to pray and to connect with God. And they destroyed that. Their religion has destroyed that. As I'm walking 
around in the Vatican, just real, seeing that it's, it's its own country. It's, 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 you know, Christianity doesn't have a central location. The book of Acts shows you that. True Christianity has no central location, is decentralized. But every false religion on, in this world has a centralization, a capital, a hub for their religion. Catholics have Rome. The Muslims have Mecca. The Jehovah's Witnesses have their city. The Mormons in Utah. We don't. There's no hub because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When people meet us, they meet God. And wherever we go on this planet, they could see God. They can hear about God. They could see that demonstrated, the kingdom can be demonstrated. That's incredible. As I'm walking around in the Vatican, I'm just thinking, this isn't right. This isn't the way Jesus has meant this to be. The church is decentralized. They're all over the place. They're in jung- they're, they're, they're Christians are in a jungle where the, the gospel has never been heard. They're in cities in Europe and South America and North America, all over the place, Africa. The gospel is like a vine. It just grows and it goes in wherever it wants to go. It just, it, it continues to grow deep and wide. That's incredible because of the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, it is better that I leave, that I give you the Holy Spirit wherever you go, I'm there. And he promises us that. And it was a great comfort and a joy to know that as we're walking around Rome. And so let's go to verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began asking, saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus walked around the temple and he was talking to people. It was his pulpit. The temple was his pulpit. Towards the end of his ministry, he was beginning to teach. And what did he teach? It's the very things that we're gonna, that we have on campus, the very message we have on campus, the very message we have in our neighborhoods and in the nations. He taught about what? The the wretchedness of sin, the depravity of man. Romans 1, Ephesians 2. Are you able to stand before somebody and, and, and tell them biblically why they are far from God? That'd be a good thing to know. That'd be a good thing to study. Are you able to do that now? When you go to lunch, if someone asks like, you know, I don't really believe I'm a sinner. I think we're all just, you know, good people. Could you turn to the Bible and show them, no, you aren't a good person. There's no one who is good. This is the letter written to the Romans. This is amazing to walk around the streets of Rome to realize this is exactly the place where the Roman letter went to first. The gospel's written all over it. The whole message, just study the gospel from now until May of Rome, or Romans. Just study that book over and over and over and over again. You'll know the gospel. Has every element, every fact, every every angle of the gospel in that book. The foolishness of hypocritical, legalistic, false religion. I'm sure he was teaching that. He was saying, look, 
you are far from God and your religion won't bring you to God. It's a lie. Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to, 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 to Rome. Don't listen to, uh, to, to false religion that tells you that you can do something to be saved. Don't listen to it. It will damn you. It's a lie. It looks good. Oh, it looks wonderful on the outside, but it is damning. He also talked about the hopelessness of trying to achieve righteousness by your good works, by things that you can do. Add addition, 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 instead of alone, instead of Christ alone, by faith alone. Do you know how many times uh, credited is mentioned in Romans 4? Just study that tomorrow morning. Romans 4, credited, righteous. God put in your banking account something that you did not earn. If, if, you did a, if you worked a job, right, the boss would pay you wages. He would give you X amount. You know, if you work for Oviedo Lights this winter, Hunter's gonna pay you thousands of dollars to put lights up on houses. It's amazing. I mean, he just got this big grant and he's going to pay out lots of cash. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. But he's paying you for something that you did. He's paying you for something you did. It's wages. And what does the Bible say? The wages of sin. Because you've sinned, God's going to pay you something. And that very thing is death. Hell. That's what you deserve. That's what you earned. And instead, when you trust Christ, he puts in your account something he did. Look, church, we are all saved by works. It's just not our works. It's his works. That's how we're saved. We're credited with his righteousness. It's put in your banking account. You started with, you can't go to heaven at zero. You are in the negative. You're put up to zero. You can't get to heaven by zero. You have to have positive righteousness. And that's done by Christ's perfect work. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Study Romans. You need to know that message. We're not going to Rome on vacation. We're going as soldiers of the living God to preach the gospel, the very same message that was given to them 2,000 years ago. That's incredible stuff. Not only that, but the, the warnings of the inevitability of divine judgment and eternal hell. Jesus talked about that in the temple as he was teaching. The need for humility and to have a broken and contrite heart from Isaiah 66. The dangers of false humility, spiritual pride. This is the message we go with. This is the message that Jesus was teaching in the temple. The cost of following him, self-denial, that narrow road eventually leads to a narrow path. It's not you just you go through the narrow road and then you go, you, it, it's now the broad path. No, it's the narrow road. It's, it's hard to get into the kingdom and it's a hard to remain in the kingdom. This is hard stuff. This is an easy, this is not an easy life. If you haven't realized that already. There's a great cost to what we do. On mission, but there's a great cost if you stay in Oviedo. 
So don't kid yourself. You might be saying, well, I'm not going there. I'm going to stay right here at home. Well, watch the trials and tribulations meet you right in your own bed. This is not an easy life. And Jesus warns us about that. There will be sufferings and persecutions. I would imagine all that and more was what he was teaching the people in the temple. And when the word of God is spoken like that with such clarity and power, it's going to be met with opposition. And it did. All of a sudden, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like, hey, hold on a second. Let's just hit a little pause button here. What gives you the right to talk like this? What gives you the right to even be in this place? This is not your temple. This is not your city. You belong in Nazareth. No good thing comes out of that place. You don't belong here. This is Jerusalem. This is my country. We own this place, Jesus. They asked the question, not because they were curious, but because they wanted to trap him. See, that's what religious people do. They can't handle the truth. So they must attack the truth giver. They must attack you. If they can't attack the truth, if they can't find a way to discredit the truth, they'll begin to discredit you. And that's exactly what they were trying to do. They weren't curious, but they they already knew they were trying to set him up some sort of attack on on Jesus himself. Like, what authority do you have? Because we're about to arrest you if you make a wrong move. They knew previously that he, he had talked about his authority. They said he, he said he would come from God, but they wanted him to say it publicly because once he said it publicly, they would accuse him of blasphemy. They, they wanted to put him between a rock and a hard place. But in reality, they were the blasphemers. You can look that up in Luke twenty two, sixty five. They were the blasphemers. Ironically, they were trying to accuse the son of God for blaspheming, but yet they were. So we look in verse 29, this is Jesus's reply. And he says, well, I'll ask, I'll answer your question with a question. He wasn't being rude. I wouldn't recommend kids do that to their parents. You're not a rabbi. So one of your kids say that, like, you're not a rabbi. But that wasn't, That was a very acceptable practice for rabbis to do that. Jesus wasn't being rude. He wasn't being sarcastic. Although he would now trap them in something. And he wasn't just sticking it to them. Jesus doesn't do that. He does things respectfully. He shares the gospel, so to speak, the good news, respectfully, lovingly, humbly. But he does ask them a question, and that's good teaching. Paul does the same thing. Should we just sin so grace may abound? The interrogative. It's a very good teaching tool. Makes you stay awake. He's talking to me. He's asking me a question. He's not just talking at me. So he asks them a question. He says, I'll ask you, and then you'll answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. So he's willing to do that. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? 
Now listen, he's basically equating himself. You remember, it's been a while since we looked at Mark 1. It's been a while. Remember John the Baptist? He's the first on the scene, forerunner for Christ, very well respected, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's saying, look, is that man that was the forerunner of the Messiah to come, the one who is baptizing people in the desert and telling people to repent, the one who came from God, all prophets come from God, legitimate prophets come from God. Is he from heaven or from man? Did he do things on his own because he felt like it or was he from God? Was he mandated by God to do what he did? Was he called? They were asking him that. He was equating, Jesus was equating his ministry with John. So however they answered that question, basically would give them the answer to the question that they asked Jesus. And so they had an option. They would either say from heaven or from men. From heaven or from men. If they said from heaven, what do you think would happen? Jesus would look at him and say, well, if you think that John's from heaven and you believe and trust what his message, which of course they don't, they, they killed him. In one sense of the term, I mean, it was Herod, but if they got their hands on him, they would do it because they killed the prophets. They killed Jeremiah. They killed the rest. There was blood on their hands. So if they said yes from heaven, yeah, he's from heaven. Yeah, he's, he's, he's of God. Then Jesus would have a right to say, well, then you're responsible to believe me. And they would not do that. And so they said, this is brilliant stuff here. If we could only have the wisdom of Jesus. And then he said, well, if, well it's from, from earth. It's from, from men. Well, they would get in a lot of trouble, wouldn't they? Calling a prophet of man is equivalent of blasphemy. So they're trying to get him on the blasphemy charges, not themselves. And on top of that, if you remember in Luke 20, verse 6, but if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death. And of course, they weren't looking to die that day. They were looking to commit murder, not be murdered. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they're screwed. They're done for. I mean, they're just like, we're, we're just going to go home. Because that's what every, that happens every time when you're around Jesus and you're trying to make him look out to be a fool. And so we said, we don't know. But they knew. And so he exposed the hypocrisy that was in their heart as well as he does to us when we're trying to get away with something. We're trying to pull a fast one on God. So Jesus, in one sense, condemned them. His silence condemned them. In verse 31, they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we're from heaven, he will say then, why do you not believe them? But we shall say from men. It kind of got cut off there. And they were afraid of the people. They had fear of man, not God. For everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. This is grace from Jesus. Do you not see his grace? Do you not see the, the opportunity for them to repent and say, you have an opportunity right now. He did not condemn them on the front end. He condemned them on the back end. Why? Because they said, we don't know. He says, oh no, you know. I know what's in your heart. 
What grace? I know it's, it doesn't say that. There's no commentary there. But I look at that as, an, again, grace to these hard-hearted people. Because if you'd got that question right and said, from heaven, he would have said, well, why don't you believe me? He's like, he could have been like that one dad, right? I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help me. Oh, and Jesus would have been all over that. The Father would have been all over that. The Holy Spirit would have been all over that. Just as a child repenting. He'd been all over that. The, the, the burden of sin would have been gone. And instead they said, forget it. We don't know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then left. Jesus will not cast his pearls to swine, and nor will we. You need to know when to duck out of a conversation. You need to know when, hey, it's getting a little tough here. It's a little hard. They're hard-hearted. They're starting to, I can feel the tension here. I love these people. I'm going to give them one last ditch effort effort to to repent. I'm going to plead with them. But there's a time when we say, you know what? We, we just can't cast our pearls, our goods, our treasure to people who are hard-hearted. There is a time for that. And we will train you on that in the coming weeks on how to do that. But I want to give you three implications here before we close. Three implications. Number one, you have authority. You have authority. Jesus has given you authority. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, all authority has been given to me, capital me, M, me, that's Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. He's commanding you to do that. Where does he want you to make disciples? Of all nations. I've not just given you authority in your own hometown, but I've given you authority in the nations in places that maybe perhaps other people would say, you don't belong there. You don't belong. We do belong. We have a right to be there, not by the government, but by Jesus, the King. Of all nations, baptizing. What are we supposed to do there? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the gospel, the very thing that I told you what he was teaching in in the temple. The book of Romans. The gospel. And then not only that, but teaching them, doing discipleship, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Walking with them, life on life. He says, I am with you even to the end of age. It's great comfort. He's not gonna abandon us. He's not like, hey, you go to Rome, you go to campus, you go to your neighborhood and I'll sit right here and when you, you, you come back to the quiet place and we'll talk. No, no, he goes with you everywhere you go. You can feel that and sense that when you're talking to someone that he's with you that he's given you that authority. It's incredible. Use your authority. Number two, use it. Use your authority. Use your God-given authority to share the truth. The only way people are going to hear the truth, God, in this dark world, the only way they're going to hear the truth is by you unleashing it. They don't just, it doesn't just get downloaded somehow. They need a preacher. And you are those preachers. Romans 10, 14, so clear, right? How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how will they hear without a preacher? And then Titus 2.15 says this, these things, Paul is telling Titus in his church plant, we are going to go to Rome. There's three new church plants that we've got to be a part of or in some way talk to their leaders. One in the southeast of Rome named Jordan. One in the southwest of Rome in the EUR, what is called the EUR. Johnny, we got to be at this church. I got to share a vision there, hear a message. That was a lot of fun. And then also we got to be in Florence and, and be a part of their church plant as well. I think it's just awesome how this uh, whole operation in Rome, uh, the ITA, the Italian uh, Theological Academy, was there, has been there for quite some time. But now these pastors are thinking, we can't just teach this stuff. We can't just teach theology to all these pastors who are coming in from all over it, from Italy. But we also want our own church. And it is perfect time within the last six, uh, last month, Johnny's church was, was born. And then uh, six months or so ago, uh, the one in Florence was birthed. And we get to be a part of that. In 10 years, 10, 11 years into our church, we get to give back. What a wonderful, incredible privilege to see that. Not only a training ground for future pastors, but also to be amongst people that, that are just like us, that are wanting to do discipleship and share the gospel and live out the life Christ has called us to. So we are called to use our authority. He says, speak these things. These things speak, exhort and reprove with all authority. This is Titus 2.15, with all authority. And this, I love this little phrase here. It says, let no one disregard you. You know, you're going to have family members. You're going to have people disregarding you. Oh, you just want to go on vacation. Oh, you just want to, uh, you're not going to be able to share the gospel there. What do you think you're doing? This is Rome. They have lots of Christians. Well, let me tell you this, point eight percent evangelical in a 60 million people population uh, uh, country. I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible. 60 million people are there. There's about four, that equates to be about 480,000 people that are evangelical. Do you think that's unreached? I would say so. Let no one disregard you. Let no one tell you that's stupid or what do you have a right to be here? What gives you a right to share the gospel? What gives you a right to do this? What do you, who do you think you are going into someone else's country and sharing this message? You have authority by Jesus himself. Isn't that incredible? I just even love the timing of this message. God has been so faithful to this church. Just it's been in our heart. You can look around. The nations are in our heart for years. We have a small little hookup called the pandemic. And that doesn't stop us, does it? Because not only did we just go once a year on mission, but we went twice a year on mission. We upped it in the pandemic. And now we get to be back in the nations. That's just the grace of God. And he's called us to do this. And number three, how do we use this authority? Three ways. Confidently, boldly, confidently and boldly, firmly. You know, when, when, I, when, I, when, I, when we were in Rome, we got to share the gospel with 
this waitress, we were on the eighth floor of the, the rooftop in our hotel downtown Rome. And we got to share the gospel with this waitress and she was, um, she had kind of a funky spiritual background. She was raised Catholic, or at least her dad was Catholic. Her mom, we don't know, she didn't say, but her mom, she had a pretty rough background. Uh, one, she was uh, raped, and molested, very young. And not only that, but she was, uh, we were talking about how it's, I don't know, some, somehow we got on the topic of it was Halloween time, and she was talking about how her mom dressed her up as a princess in Italy, where they don't celebrate Halloween, and sent her dressed as a princess as a little girl, and she was made fun of in her classroom, all for the thrill of her parents. And she was extremely broken. I asked her, like, what kind of religious background she had, uh, and she said, I don't really have one, but it's, I believe in kindness. I said, could you describe more, a little bit more what kindness means? And it's like, you know, when you give kindness, you get kindness back. And she said, I also believe in a sense of karma because the guy who molested me, raped me when I was young, I found out that she was, or this man was eventually arrested, not on the charges of assault, but because of theft. And somehow he got it. Somehow justice was served. And not only that, but I also receive kindness because see, I'm wanting to get married to a woman. I'm a lesbian and I want to get married. I found such kindness in another woman. This broke our heart. As we're listening to this woman, she was, she was super funny too. I mean, she was saying things in Italian and telling us where to go around. And eventually we got to the point where we're, said, we just got to share the gospel with this this woman. And I asked her, I didn't know where, I was like, Lord, and then all, all the team is all praying for me, and I'm just like, God, give me wisdom. So how do you, how do you enter into this? As she's saying um, that she worked for another restaurant, and she said, I got fired from that restaurant because my girlfriend came to visit me, and the boss found out it was a girlfriend, and so they fired me. And so now she's looking for the government And she said this word for word, I'm looking for the government to protect me. It's just getting darker and darker and more hopeless. Realizing what in the world? And I just, I was just like, Lord, I need, I need you. I I know we have authority to do this. I know you want me to confidently share the gospel, but also he wants us to share the gospel, not only confidently, but humbly, with respect, with gentleness. And he wants us to share the gospel in love. Speak the truth in love. I'm like, Lord, this is, this is, an, this is a tangled mess. I, there, there's so many aspects to this conversation. I don't even know where to start. And I just said, look, Lord, I, I, I need your help. I know that you said you're with me in front. Uh, you said to your disciples that when you're before the courts, you would give words by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak. And so I'm taking you up on that. And I said, hey, I, I, I need to ask you a question. Do you think it's possible that God answered your prayer? Do you think it's possible that he has shown you kindness and grace? You know, I, I don't know about that man, but all, all I know 
in your situation is that God hates sin and he hated what it was done to you. He hates that. It's horrible what happened to you. It's devastating. I, I, I don't know how to, I mean, God knows how to fix that. But maybe perhaps God did answer your prayer. It's not karma. Five minutes from you right now walking. There's Paul's prison. 2,000 years ago, he died in this prison. He walked the streets of Rome. And he said something interesting in the book of Galatians. He said, whatever a man sows, he reaps. Those are words you can take to the bank. That was written here in this city. 2,000 years ago, people got to pass around manuscripts. It was written in the book of Galatians. This man died in your city. He preached the gospel. Jesus is your only hope. He can fix whatever's going on in your life. You could be fully healed. And she walked away. But the reality is that that gospel message was released and we had authority to share that message. And when I felt there's so many different implications from that story, I could go on. But it just when I was sitting there, I was thinking, I remember just even thinking to myself, what gives me the right to go to someone else's country to share this message with somebody? Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's incredible. Like that brings me so much peace to know that we could go anywhere in this world and release this message. But you must do it with, not only with confidence, knowing that you have authority, but you need to do it with humility. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of entanglement. There's a lot of mixing of government protection. And this, I mean, there's no, it's no different than 2,000 years ago. As we were walking around, we saw the Colosseum and how much blood was shed there. We got to see the, the, the prison where Peter and, 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 uh, and Paul were killed there. And also Luke was there with them, as it says in 2 Timothy, giving them this charge. And I just, I want to read you uh, just this last uh, little bit here. I just want to take you through. I, th- I just thought this was uh, interesting. Uh, that the, the journey to Rome and that Romans 1.15, uh, Paul says this, so far from my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Are you eager to preach this message to people who need it so desperately? And then of course, the visionary that Paul was, he's like, at the end of his letter, he's like, I wanna get to Spain. And his journey to Rome began in Acts 28. If you remember, we, we went through this, this book about a year ago, a little over a year ago in Acts 28, 11, he went to Syracuse, which was Sicily. He found himself in Sicily, which I want to find myself one day. Probably had a cannoli and was on his way. And then he went to Regium, which is the, the toe, the boot. If, you, if you're seeing him kick the soccer ball, is that that toe and right across from Messina, which is Sicily. And then Putioli, which is Napoli. We've been there three years ago, actually. Nicole and I were in, in Naples. And he was there and then he stayed there for seven days and encouraged the family of God. And then in Acts 28, 16, he was under house arrest. They arrested him in Rome. 
And I remember when Luke, he said, Luke who wrote the, the, the book of Acts, he says, ah, and now we have arrived to Rome where Paul way back on his third missionary journey wrote this letter to the Romans, this amazing gospel letter. There was no problems with the church in Rome. It was one of the very few books that Paul wrote that had no problem. He just wanted to lay out the gospel and how amazingly by God's providence, the, the perfect timing of that book to, the, to this city where it has a capital, the capital of the, of, of, the, of the Catholic church and how they need to hear the true gospel. I mean, just thinking of that, I mean, there's just the providence of God, the, the, the incredible nature of who God is to give them this amazing book, amazing letter. So he's there under house arrest for two years and then he gets out. But under that house arrest, he writes Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. And he writes these, what is called the, the prison letters in Philippians. He writes the, the, these prison letters there under house arrest. It's not too bad, house arrest. He got to have some level of freedom. And he got out and then he was put back into prison. But this time it was, and being down there is damp, dark prison, just with a hole at the top where they were thrown in. And he writes this letter, 2 Timothy. And he gives this last charge. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. In other words, Timothy is saying, or Paul is telling Timothy, you also have authority. Jesus had authority. He knocked me off my horse in Acts 9, right? Gave me a new heart, gave me authority to do this. Now I'm passing this on to you. You have authority to go to the nations, to equip the saints to do ministry. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. This world's gonna be absolutely crazy. And it is. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, with patience, with humility, with love, with respect and gentleness and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, and they will, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They're doing that now. They're doing that in Rome, and they're doing that here. You can see that, how deceived people are. And you will turn away from their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Myths. Superstitions. Hey, if you walk up these steps on your knees, you'll be saved. Couldn't be further from the truth. But you, Timothy, you're different because you have the truth. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship, and we will need to endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist and then fulfill your ministry. What's your ministry? Matthew 28, I have all authority has been given to me and I give it to you. Make disciples of all nations. For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew he was going to heaven. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to me on that day and not only to me, but to all of you who have loved his appearing. You can't wait to meet Jesus one day. It's for all of us. And in verse 18, he, oh, I, I'm not gonna go through it, but not only did he have the pain of realizing, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be killed, but also so many people left him. He said, these people left me, but Luke was with me. And then in verse 18, 
It says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is our message. What an incredible privilege that we get to do this as a church, to walk around ancient Rome, to share the gospel. Church, we have authority to do this. We have authority to do this. And so I want to go ahead and um, read you one last quote here by John Stott. I thought it was so fitting. Every so once in a while, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see a quote. And I'm like, that just couldn't be more perfect of a quote. They all somewhat fit, but this one is even more fitting. It says this, the basis of all Christian missionary work is the universal authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. If the authority of Jesus were confined to earth or limited to earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers or one of many Jewish prophets or one of many divine incarnations, we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Savior of the world. He'd just be one of many. But if the authority of Jesus were limited to heaven, if he has not decisively overthrown the principalities and powers by the cross, we would still proclaim him to the nations, but we would never be able to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, Acts 26, 18. Only because, listen to this, only because of all authority on earth belongs to Christ, do we dare go to the nations. And listen, and only because all authority in heaven is his, do we have any hope of success. That is so good and so fitting and so timely even for this moment. God has called us to go to the nations as a church. Sure, it's getting harder. The headlines are scarier. The banking accounts are dwindling down because we don't have money. It's inflation, etc. But God has never, ever, ever in the history of this church ever fallen short of bringing us to the nations. He will provide as we pray, as we are generous and we are bold with the authority of Christ to get on the plane. And as Ronald Reagan once said, right? The plane is waiting. The plane is waiting. We are called to go. Why don't we uh, stand to our feet? There's so much to, so much to share even about our trip, just the details. Of course, we can share with that with you guys as, as we go along, but I want you, under your seat is a piece of paper, a half sheet of paper. I want you guys to go ahead and uh, take that. You can go ahead under your seat and just take that with you. Bring this to life group this week. Take this in your times with the Lord, but bring it to life group and you're going to write a few things on it, Okay. If you want to go ahead and write it on there, you can, just to remember, but you can always go back to the podcast or YouTube and and listen to this. But number one, what are you believing for this summer in Rome? What are you believing for? What are you praying for? Salvations. The fact that I, I, give me boldness, Lord, to to reach out. Help me to learn the Italian language. (laughs) To see Johnny's church thrive. Jordan's church thrive. The church in Florence thrive. And then number two, how will you be involved? There's three ways you can always be involved. You could do all of them, one of them, where there's no pressure. Number one, pray, give, and go. Pray, give, 
and go. And the way little sub points and go is you can be a part of the base, which is six weeks, beginning in May, May 4th, okay? May 4th to June 14th, six weeks. You could be in Rome for that long. And the crazy thing is it costs just as much or actually less than our trip to Japan three years ago, even with inflation. So I'm so thankful for that to, to have to give you that amazing news, even though it is a lot of money, 5,200. But still, it's, uh, it's cheaper than, uh, than, than it was in Japan. So if you did Japan, you could do this. All right. The, the second way you can be involved or go is through our impact team or impact trips, which are 10 days long. And we're going to have three of those, the 1st of May and middle of May and the end of May into June. And that, the cost of that is about 2800 And still, that's around the same cost as it costs to go to Japan. And so uh, I know that might seem like a lot and steep, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but trust God. You know you have authority to go. Now the question is how we're going to do this. How are we going to do it together and being generous with one another? And uh, parents, if you're with us, so many parents are with us with baby dedication, maybe parents visiting from other parts of Florida, we invite you to come as well. It's by application process. We do look at uh, everything. You you need to be a Christian. Uh, For quite some time, there needs to be some level of uh, getting to know you before you go on the trip. Uh, But you also are invited to come. And so why don't we go ahead and pray and um, I just, I, I actually felt led to share one more story because I, I, I know that that last story with up on the rooftop in Rome is, was also, um, can be also encouraging and also discouraging at the same time. But as I was walking around Gianluca um, in, in Florence, one of the things that he was telling me is his parents, I was like, how did you get saved? One of the pastors, uh, he went to the master's seminary. We went we go to the same school in Los Angeles. And one of the things he said, he's like, my parents were converted from Catholicism to Christianity when they were, uh, I don't know when, but they were converted by a, uh, an, an ex-priest. So there's a book that you can get far from Rome near to God. And there's a, a lot of, there's 50 testimonies of uh, priests who became Christians tell the, the behind-the-scenes stories of what it's like to be in the Vatican and, and be in Catholicism. It's very dark. It's very, very dark. In fact, uh, is one of the, Rome is one of the only places that the Reformation never reached. They would actually, the, the, the Catholics would kill the reformers coming over the Swiss Alps into Italy. It's a very dark place. Very dark. But there's hope. And God is saving people. Even today, he's saved people in the past. He's saving people today out of the bondage of Catholicism and secularism. You pretty much see both in Italy. And so um, he was telling me the story. I'm like, how did this person, how did your parents get saved? And this priest who had, uh, you could read it in the story, uh, but he, he had uh, um, witnessed a lot of dark things and in, the, in Catholicism and realize that, you know, you, people do, are forced to pray to Mary and, and find salvation in her. And then uh, was listening to a radio program. It was in, uh, from Germany. 
and they were sharing the gospel on there, and he, he began to get interested in, in, in this and, you know, kind of in a secret way, and eventually gave his life to Christ and then passed that message of the gospel, the true gospel, onto John Luca's parents, and then eventually onto John Luca, who's now established a church in Florence. That's incredible. And now we are a part of his story. He's doing a podcast all over Rome, just uh, pouring into different pastors and, and just, we would love to help him out. We're not going to Florence this time around. Most likely we're gonna stay uh, in Rome and focus our efforts there, put all our eggs in one basket to have fruit. But we, that would give us access to many other parts with partners in Turin up in the north near the Alps, Genoa, Sicily, Florence, and, uh, and, and many other places, perhaps, who knows, Milano, uh, and, and many of Venice, many different places in Italy. This is uh, something we've been praying for for a long time, church, that we'd be able to build a long-term relationships with people like-minded that would last over the long haul. And so why don't we pray into this? I would love for everyone to go. I'd love for 150, 200 people to meet in Rome this, this spring, summer. That'd be amazing. But I know that um, it cannot be forced. You must hear the Lord draw you into this incredible opportunity to go. Amen? But it is exciting. It is exciting. All right? So, Father, thank you so much for giving us this incredible opportunity, for 